Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I want to move rather slowly through our gospel for today, remaining very attentive to what this text meant in its own time. You know, sometimes I think, we're so eager to show the relevance of biblical passages for our own time that we can miss or pass over too quickly what they were originally about. And actually, the more we attend to that, oddly, the more relevant they become to us, I think. Well, the reading for today, the gospel, is drawn from the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel. And it describes a very important moment of transition. John the Baptist from whom Jesus had sought baptism, has been arrested and will soon, we know, be put to death. And Jesus immediately afterwards withdraws to Galilee and then commences his own ministry of preaching and healing. Are these two events just coincidentally related? Hardly. And Matthew wants us to see this. There's a very tight relationship between the arrest of John the Baptist and the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus read the arrest of John as a kind of signal that he was to begin. We must remember that Jesus, like any Jew of his time, would have read the world through the lens of the sacred scriptures. Oh, if Greeks interpreted the world philosophically, Jews interpreted the world biblically. The scriptures were the interpretive framework for everything. Well, it was a commonplace of the prophets, of the Psalms, of parts of the Torah, that the era of the Messiah would be preceded by a time of great tribulation. A time when the opponents of God would rise up to counter God's purposes. Oh, look at the book of the prophet Daniel. You'll see lots of references to this tribulation. It was seen not simply as a dark time. It was seen as a harbinger of the arrival of the Messiah. You know, a bit like the clearing of the ground that takes place before a new building goes up. Or maybe like the cleansing of a wound before the dressing is put on. Daniel predicts that there'd be a time of tribulation that would signal the arrival of the Messiah. Jesus saw this in the arrest of John. This great national figure, this prophet to Israel, was arrested and would eventually be killed by the enemies of God. And Jesus took this as the sign that his own messianic work should commence. Now, as I've argued before, the Messiah, the Mashiach of Israel, had a well-defined job description. His first task was to announce and bring about 
the gathering of the scattered tribes of Israel. As long as Israel was divided, it was incapable of fulfilling its mission to bring the worship of Yahweh to the world. God wanted to form in Israel a priestly people who would then be a light to the nations, who would draw all the world now to the worship of the true God. But, but, as long as Israel was scattered and divided, like a flock of sheep scattered on the hillside, it lost its power. Now, in Israelite history, there were two great exiles. The first in the north, prompted by the Assyrians in the 8th century. The ten tribes of Israel in the north were scattered. The second one, more famous, took place in the south in the 6th century B.C., prompted by the Babylonians. Religiously sensitive Jews in Jesus' time were deeply aware of these two exiles and of the need to bring all the tribes back. With that in mind, how interesting, and oh, we overlooked this fact, but how interesting that Jesus commences his ministry in the north. We hear in Matthew's Gospel, it's in Galilee, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are two of the northern tribes of Israel. It's in this northern country that Jesus begins. Why? Because that's where the first exile was. And these, therefore, are the first tribes, symbolically, that must be gathered. Listen as Matthew puts it. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And then he tells us, he makes this fascinating connection, that this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, lands of the north. From you a great light will come. Well, see, in Isaiah's time, he's talking about that northern exile. He's talking about the Assyrian threat. And that one day, Yahweh, through his power, would regather those tribes. Now, Matthew is telling us, it's happening. It's happening precisely through Jesus. You know, an interesting detail. Look how Jesus' public ministry moves from the north to the south. He begins up around the Sea of Galilee, begins near his hometown in places like Capernaum. And then it moves gradually south, culminating in Judea, in Jerusalem. What's he doing? He's recapitulating the two exiles. First the northern tribes, then the southern tribes will be gathered. Now, what does this messianic prophet say? as he begins his preaching. He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, again, we mustn't flatten this out. I mean the language of kingdom of God. We mustn't flatten it out or render it too spiritually abstract as though he were only talking about becoming nicer people or more generous or more kind. We say, well, the kingdom of God means being a good and upright person. Nothing as banal and bland and flat as that. This preaching was part and parcel of his messianic vocation. Here's what he was saying. A new order is breaking in in Israel. The tribes are being gathered through the power of God and Yahweh has begun to reign. Therefore, repent. And the word there in the Greek is metanoiete, 
Therefore, go beyond the mind you have. Therefore, go beyond your settled attitudes. Therefore, shift and change. Expand your vision and your expectation. Start living now as members of this new Israel, this new gathered kingdom. It's as though a canny politician were saying to the people, you know, there's a new power in town, and it's time for us to adjust to his demands. So Jesus says the new power is Yahweh, who's doing his work through me of gathering the tribes. What else did Jesus do? Something utterly in line with his messianic identity? Listen. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting their nets into the sea. He said to them, Come after me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He is now the agent of the gathering of the tribes. Up in this northern country, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, a great light has emerged, and now he is drawing to himself the scattered tribes. How many of these intimate apostles will he call? He will call 12, because they are evocative symbolically of the 12 tribes. All 12, yes, the 10 in the north and the 2 in the south, all 12 gathered through the power of God. And he says says to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. What was the purpose of the gathered Israel? Now to gather the nations. How beautiful, friends, how beautiful, how moving and strange to think about that these men whom Jesus called in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, this new Israel, did indeed go out to the ends of the world and become fishers of men. Think of Peter, whom he calls here, ending his life in Rome, crucified upside down, calling people from the ends of the world so that even today at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, they come from all over the world. Come, I will make you fishers of men. It's still happening. Yes, even now. We hear later about James and John, the sons of Zebedee. He also calls them to follow him. James and John preach. James and John gather the tribes. They become fishers of men as well. Then we hear this. Jesus went all over Galilee, teaching and proclaiming the kingdom, and also, quote, curing every disease and illness among the people. What was the second major task of the Mashiach, of the Messiah? It was to engage the enemies of Israel, to deal definitively with those powers who were opposed to God's creative intentions. Who are they? Well, we hear about them a lot in the Gospels. Political oppressors, religious charlatans, self-absorbed Pharisees, people of hatred and violence in positions powerful and not so powerful. Jesus confronts all these enemies of God's kingdom, calls them to conversion and repentance. He goes out to Matthew the tax collector. He goes out to the woman at the well. He challenges the Pharisees. In all these ways, he's taking on the enemies of Israel. But what else is an enemy of God's creative purpose? Sickness and disease were also seen as works of the dark powers. 
Not part of God's intention. Something opposed to God's purposes. Jesus, therefore, includes in his messianic program a kind of warfare against this form of darkness. He wants to restore, listen, not just spiritual health to Israel. He wants to restore fullness of life and health to Israel. And that includes the health of the body. Jesus is a healer because he's a warrior. He's a healer because he's the Mashiach, the anointed one of Israel. Gather the tribes, call them to repentance, make them fishers of men, and now become an agent of healing, liberation. The whole messianic program is on display here. It's only now, friends, perhaps, that we can make an application to our own time. All of us baptized, all the baptized listening to me right now, have been grafted onto Christ. We become Christified. We are meant to act in persona Christi, in the very person of Christ. And therefore, listen, his job description becomes our job description. What must we do in a land of darkness? Gather the tribes around him. The church is the new Israel. The church is the true Israel. Gather people into this powerful place and then become yourselves fishers of men and women. Become yourselves agents of the gathering of the whole world. We must evangelize, turn others into evangelists, and we must, in all that we say and do, take on the enemies of Yahweh. Take on all those powers that are opposed to God's creative intentions. Once we see now what Jesus' program is, we know what our program is. And it's time to get to work. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.